Our gospel reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. second reading today is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It can be found on page 982 in the Pew Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you guys. If you ever had a chance to go on a short-term mission trip, um, I know there's many here who have. We've had a chance as a congregation, gosh, to go um, locally, uh, regionally, uh, internationally. Uh, I remember the first time I went on an international mission where everything was different. The language was different. The culture was different. For me, it was a journey out of Mexico City's maybe two hours in the back of a pickup truck to this jungle community where, where two weeks before, missionaries in that community had been killed by the communist insurgency in that place. And I was scared to death. It was a medical mission, and, and I know nothing about medicine. I was the guitar player who was going to go play songs. I learned a couple of Spanish songs and... And I just remember being so frightened, so scared, being in that situation. I remember the first morning of our mission experience. The radio had been broadcasting that there would be some doctors and dentists there. And people traveled hundreds of miles, some of them on foot, to be there. 600 people showed up the first morning. 
for medical attention. I never got a chance to break my guitar out the whole week. It was phenomenal. It was phenomenal being used of God to do medical things. I actually had the privilege of doing a surgery with a doctor's supervision of doing a surgery. I was scared to death. I was scared to death. It was a, it was an appendectomy. And, and, and I thought, I'm going to kill this guy, right? And, and the doctor patiently covered about three tables and, and helped us all to do what he instructed. And I remember feeling afterwards, well, it wasn't afterwards because I still thought the guy was going to die. But, but by the time we left a week later, I remember feeling this rush of great Scott, God. I, I never knew that I could be so used by you, lest I think too highly of myself. In a second surgery later in the week, I passed out in the middle of it from the blood that was spurting all over the room. And so um, I don't have any illusions about my medical career. Although if any of you are having slight pain in your side right now, I'd be glad to take care of that for you after the service. No, I wouldn't do that. But um, I just remember this rush of saying, great Scott, God. I, I never, a week ago thought that that would be possible. I remember coming back. I was living in Southern California at the time, coming back and just being overwhelmed. And I I don't know. I was a follower of Jesus then. He was my Savior, but I still was just, just beginning to understand the Lordship of Christ. I was just beginning with a lot of mentors' help to be able to understand that He wanted all of me and, and, and He was willing to give all of Himself to me to be used by Him. But I remember coming back to, to Southern California just being overwhelmed with what God had done, honestly, through me. I would have never thought it was possible. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen a couple of things. We've seen where Jesus entrusted to us the, the, the kingdom of God. Remember that? And he said, here's what I want you to do. In Matthew 28, it said, In your going, I want you to make fully devoted followers of non-believers. Right? I want you to, to immerse them in the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them, but, but not for head knowledge, right? I want you to teach them to respond. And he used a stronger word. I want you to teach them to obey what they learn from me. And, and, and he gave them that commission. Remember, he said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry, I'm going to be with you. And then last week, we saw in Luke 9 that he had sent the 12 out to the people of Israel. And then he called together 72 of his followers. So we often think there was only 12 people following Jesus. But there were, there were at least 72 men and women who were we're following Jesus and he commissioned them and he sent them out. Do you remember that? It was some pretty radical stuff, right? If you were paying attention last week, it's some pretty radical stuff. He says, I don't want you to take anything with you. Tom was reminding me this morning, don't even take sandals with you, right? Um, and, and I want you to go out there with nothing that you can put your trust in except me. And I want you to find a person of peace. And I want you to stay with that person. I want you to eat what they put before you. I want you to stay in their house. And I'm giving you authority, now combining Luke 9 and Luke 10, to heal the sick. 
I'm smiling because I'm remembering that little man that I did the surgery on. There was another medical team coming in the week behind us, so I knew he would be in good hands. But when I was getting ready to leave, he stood and he gave me a bag and the bag was moving. And, and in that bag was a chicken. And I'm not sure if he was saying, next time operate on the chicken. No, I don't think he was saying that. I think he was grateful. And that chicken probably represented a week's wages or more for him. He, he was so grateful. I want you to risk Jesus said to the 72, I'm giving you authority to heal the sick. I'm giving you, I'm giving you authority to speak the word of God. The, the, the word that people are going to hear is going to be the word that you speak. People are going to make their judgments about me based on you. I'm giving you authority over de- demons over evil. You can speak against evil. I'm giving you the authority to speak into those power structures, those, those evil structures that are causing bondage for people. I'm sending you out there to be me and I'm staying right here. Take nothing with you and I'll be here when you come back, right? Wow. Wow. We saw that the Word of God gives us very explicit instructions on how to do this. The question was not whether it's written down for us. The question is whether we will believe it, whether we will risk making a difference on our college campuses, in our neighborhoods, in our own families who gathered around us this week, for many of us. Will we trust God at His Word? We're going to pick up that story here today. You might have heard it already as, as they come back. As they come back, I want you especially to watch for words there, right? When they returned, they were just flabbergasted. It said, and, and the reason you don't recognize it is because it appears in different forms, but it says over and over again, the marker of their lives when they returned was joy. Was joy. They returned with joy, right? And we learn later that, that we're actually commanded to rejoice or to have joy. And I don't know if you're paying attention, but then it shows that Jesus actually rejoiced as well. What is this? What is this that was dominating their lives as they came back? He called it joy. Now, we've looked at this word before. I'm going to try and summarize. If you're visiting with us, I'm going to try and summarize a a bigger teaching that has to do with joy. But let's explore this together. And honestly, as we enter the most joyful time of the year, right? As we enter the the Christmas season to say, how can we live joyful lives? How can we experience what they experienced when they return? If you look up joy in a dictionary, I look it up on Wikipedia, it would just say, an experience of great delight or happiness, they're searching for words to describe it, right? Caused by something, and I would say someone exceptionally good or satisfying. Isn't that interesting? Do you see all the hints in that description of, of the very nature and character of God? Who is it that can only, who only is it that can satisfy us? No one but God. Who is it that is genuinely good? God, there's these hints, even in the secular world, trying to understand this experience of joy about the cause of joy, who is God. But we've looked many times before at 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and we've recognized that, that, um, that 
in order to help us understand ourselves, God has described us as three parts. He says, now, this is the Apostle Paul, now may the God of peace himself sanctify or set you apart completely. And may your whole, and here's this three-part division, spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, at the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we saw that and we, and we, we recognize, if you go to the next slide, we recognize that, that one way of understanding <clears throat> this wholeness that is us is to see ourselves as a body, soul, and spirit. And we've looked at this extensively, but there's a correlation in those things to what we experience, right? Our bodies, go two, two checks here, our bodies go, um, experience pleasure, our souls experience happiness, but it is only through our spirit that we experience joy. Now, again, people use the words interchangeably. In fact, even some Bible translations use the words interchangeably, but that they should not do that. They are different concepts and different words. And the problem for many of us is that, and even our nation we've outlined before, is that we search for happiness when our souls are eternal and our souls are going to need something more than the experience of something good, our souls are going to need something deeper, a spiritual experience, which the Bible calls joy. That's why it's so critical for us to obey Jesus and to take the gospel, the good news of what God has done to the world so that they can experience who God is so that they can be born again and really for the very first time experience joy as God intended it. Now I'm stumbling as I speak because I just sense some of us asking that question. I'm not sure if I've ever experienced joy. That's a, that's a great question to ask. But I want to push you through that and invite you to joy. Today. Is that fair enough? That's where we're going. What is joy? Joy is a byproduct of something else. You can't just say, I think I'll be joyful today. It's got to be a byproduct of something else. By the way, most of the fruit of the Spirit is a byproduct of something else, right? Joy is the fruit of something that is cultivated, right? How does Paul put it in Galatians? Uh, God is not mocked, right? A person reaps what he or she sows, right? So uh, there's cultivation involved here. Something has to be planted. Something has to be cultivated. And it grows. And as it grows and matures, it begins to bear fruit. So joy is the fruit of something that is cultivated. In particular, it's the fruit of the Spirit of God in you. The fruit of the Spirit, help me, is love, joy, peace, patience. Are you singing the song? Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. I forgot one. Goodness and self-control. Um, yeah, th- those are f- those are the fruit of a life that is the the spirit of God has been planted in. That's why Jesus said, "You must be born again, born not just of the flesh," in John chapter three, but born of the spirit. To experience joy, you must be born of the spirit. Joy is the fruit of something that is cultivated. But it's also the fruit of a healthy and growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, there's not this little deposit. For some reason, I have in my mind the little detergent packets that look like candy. Have you seen those? Uh, you know, it's not this little packet of joy and that's all there is. 
No, joy is something that continues to grow in your life. It does, doesn't, the sum of it isn't when you first accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It grows all the rest of your life as you ever more closely walk with Jesus. What is joy? It is a spiritual reality, right? A spiritual reality cultivated by the presence of God in your life. What causes joy? What causes it? It's right here in this passage, right? The Lord, joy is an awareness that the Lord is near. That the Lord is near. Sometimes when I'm here at odd times, something spooks me. You ever have that happen? You're in a strange place or something where it's dark. I oftentimes will come in here and not turn any lights on and I'll run up to my office to get a book or something. And, and then I'll hear a sound, and something spooks me, right? And, and all of a sudden, the hair on the back of my neck goes up, and, and I'm tempted to fear, and I'm going, this is stupid, <laughs> you know why? This is the church. Um, <clears throat> when did that happen? Uh, two nights ago, I was here late, and, uh, and, and I heard a noise, and, and I did the whole rebuke myself thing, and then, and then I heard footsteps again. I shared with you a few weeks ago when that happened. I heard footsteps and then the door in my office shook. Someone tried the door. And then I heard footsteps. And as I left, I locked Carol's door. She never does, but I locked it because I didn't want someone coming in on that side. And someone came in on the other side and grabbed the door. And I'm looking at the door, and the door is unlocked. And it's like one of those bad movies, B-movies, you know, the thing twists. I'm looking at the door, and, and it opens, and there is this bearded guy there. And I said... Hi, Matthew. <laughs> and he goes, he said, a little breathy, Dad. You know, <laughs> you know? well, uh, I'm not used to someone being here, Matt. Um, it's amazing, isn't it? How, how um, just knowing that it was Matthew absolutely changed my whole perspective on that whole situation. But what if, what if it is really God who is moving? in our hallways and opening the doors of our lives and, and that, it, that it's God himself who's... That changes everything, doesn't it? To know that your creator is seeking you. I think what the deal was... I'm losing track of which day it was, but I think the deal was I said, I'm going to go over to the church for 10 minutes and an hour and a half later, Matt came over to make sure I wasn't lying on the floor somewhere. Um, knowing who it is makes all the difference in the world. It's the Lord who is near, right? Joy, joy happens when we're aware that God is near. When you add that phrase that I said earlier today, and we say all the time, because it appears all the time in Scripture, when you add that to the concept of He will never leave you or forsake you, all of a sudden you're starting to build a foundation for joy, right? But here, when they are returning, it's not just that He is near. Now they're back with Him, which is always comforting to them. But something had happened in between. Uh, Jesus had intentionally separated himself from them. And I know that that rocks your world a little bit, but sometimes God allows us to go through those dark nights of the soul, does he not? Sometimes God allows us. I can't explain it. He is near, but we don't have the sense that he is near. 
and, and, and we feel separated from Him. God puts us in those situations where it does not seem like He is near to trust, to, to force us to trust Him. God, even, are you here even when I don't feel your presence? We all have been and we all probably know people that their whole relationship with God is based on their feeling of something, right? And God is trying to wean us off of our feelings. To let us camp not on what we feel, but what we believe by faith. And as the disciples returned, they had this amazing experience that while they were apart from Him, He was working through them. Right? And, and all the things that He said would happen if they obeyed Him, if they looked for a person of peace, if they invested in that person, if they stayed with them and let their lives intertwine, all the things that He promised actually happened. And they were filled with joy. Right? This is cool. This is really neat. God is moving in us. I was looking at Dave over here and, and remembering um, you, one of your um, friends and mentors and stuff. Uh, uh, when he first started sharing crosses in Mexico, um, um, you know, people's lives started getting changed. And it's the simple little aspect of, of doing that. And I remember one time being in a colonia miles from the border, probably 12 or 15 miles from the border, and all of a sudden a police car came screaming up to where we were, a, a Mexican police car. And that's not a good thing. The only thing worse than a Mexican police car screaming up to you is a Mexican military truck screaming up to you, right? With the machine guns. They're just more heavily armed. And he screamed up to where we were, and then the police officer jumped out <coughs> of the car, ran over to Gene, gave him a great big hug, and said, thank you so much for the cross you gave me at the border when you crossed. You know, and the rest of us are all passed out on the ground. And um, just, just amazing to, to know that God is working through you. Well, here's the reality. Every single woman and man, adult and child in this room, God wants to use in that same way. Every single one of us who has entrusted our lives to Christ, He has given us that commission. He's given us that authority. He's given us that ability. I mean, it's phenomenal ability, right? And, and He sent us out and said, I want you to trust that I am with you even when you can't feel my presence. And I want you to live like I was right with you even when you don't feel it. And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons, even evil, is subject to us in your name. So joy also is this opportunity, not only an awareness that God is near, not only a sense that God is working through you, but... But what causes joy also is this, this choice that we make. I want to say that very clearly. Joy is a choice. Is love a feeling? Answer no. Is love a feeling? There is the feeling of being in love, and that comes and goes, but love is a choice. Amen? Uh, and, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the same. Paul, Jesus is saying it. I want you to rejoice in these circumstances. But Paul said that as well in that amazing passage in Philippians. That's one of my favorite books. Paul, it's, it's a command. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again in case you missed it. Choose joy, right? Rejoice. 
And he says it right there. The Lord is near, right? Rejoice. Choose to remember God in every situation. Choose, I'm going to say a different word here, a word that you're more familiar with. Choose to bring God into every situation. God, I'm not sure, standing in a square in an unfamiliar village, I'm not sure where I'm going to spend the night. God, I want to bring you into this. Where's a person of peace, God, that you would have me build a relationship with? God, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into that. Have you, ever, have you ever met a really enthusiastic person? I have a really enthusiastic dog. And, and, um, and that dog just comes up. Last night, uh, after a nap, she just wanted to play ball. She just wanted to play ball. And she, just, she would bring the ball, drop it in my lap, and I'd be real careful because then she would dive for it and, and grab that ball if I wouldn't throw it and, and shake it around and drop it again. Um, I think of that as enthusiasm, right? And have you ever met an a, a enthusiastic person? <laughs> Not naming names, Kristen Watson, but, but there's a couple in the room, right? There's a couple in the room right now. Did you know that enthusiasm is simply in theos, right? To bring theos, or God, into it. Um, to bring God into it. Whether you remember what God has done, like we've been doing this week or tomorrow when you go out back out into the world to bring God with you wherever you go. It's a choice. And joy is a choice to bring God into every situation. We've talked at length before, but let me just ask real quickly, why don't we experience joy more often? There are many reasons, including the fact that for some of us, we are religious people, but we don't have a relationship with God. Um, we didn't know that there was anything beyond religion was all we knew. And so we just did what was expected of us. But we never realized that, that he wanted to live inside of us, that he wanted to actually dwell in us and moment by moment be our source of life and direction. We didn't realize that. And when that comes, when that comes, it's so phenomenal even if we went through all kinds of religious ceremonies as children or as youth, when it happens, it is real and you know it. I can think of countless people, when the, even people that, one of them was a pastor, when, when, when she finally came to that experience of who God was and, and it was joy, unbelievable joy, right? So one reason is that maybe we, maybe we haven't moved beyond our search for happiness to our uh, our experience of Christ's presence. But another very common reason is because we have bought a different gospel. Um, I think Tim Keller calls it the gospel of pain management, right? In other words, I want to live in such a way that I have minimal pain physically, emotionally, and even spiritually in my life. And let me ask you, how did that work for Jesus? Right? Did he live a gospel of pain management or pain avoidance? I think there's a false gospel out there that says that if you trust Christ, you'll never experience pain. I'm not getting any amens out there, right? Has that been true for you? No, for many of us, because we've trusted Christ, we became aware of other things and it caused us amazing pain. 
To see those things going on. If we didn't care, it wouldn't hurt, right? Here's the secret. What many of us have tried to do. We have tried to avoid pain, right? We, we fear pain and unhappiness and evil more than we believe God. And so we're living the gospel of pain management. We're living this gospel that says, I'm going to try and avoid pain my whole life. Well, well, guess what? If you stop feeling pain, you stop feeling joy, right? We've said that before. You cannot have both. And Jesus didn't have both, right? Because he trusted his God. He experienced unbelievable pain. But you remember how the author of the book of Hebrews put it? For the joy set before him, he endured the pain. You could see. You could see it in the distance. He knew it was coming, right? And, and you want to you see joy on someone's face? You want to see joy? Watch Jesus' face when you see him face to face. Watch him joy over you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Why don't we experience joy more often? Because we fear pain and happiness and evil more than we believe God. You cannot stop the pain. If you do, you won't feel anything. So how do we cultivate it? How do we cultivate joy? Respond. Believe. Respond to Jesus. Choose to obey His commands, right? And it sounds, oh, it sounds so legalistic. you got to obey. Jesus loves you. His, his commands are like, are like a parent lovingly telling their child not to run out in the street. If he gives you boundaries, it's for your protection, for your safety. Obey Jesus' commands. Trust in Jesus, not in yourself. I'm just seeing this on a regular basis that, that people just stand up to God, revealed through Jesus, and say, you know, I know this is what you're saying, Jesus, but I know better. And, and they lived their life like they knew better than the one who created them. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. They lived their life like they know better than God. Well, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Let's put our weight down on what Jesus says. Let's put our weight down on His commands. Let's trust in Him, not ourselves. But let's also live in Advent all the time. Jesus is coming again. We've got to believe that the kingdom of God is near right now. We've got to believe if we trust in Jesus as our Savior, it is here, it is living inside of us, and that one day Jesus is going to come again. And that time, I know, I know for 2,000 years people have thought that that time is short, but I believe that that time is short. I feel like John... Crying out, come, come, Lord Jesus. Because I can't stand what we're doing with this world, this beautiful world you created. We have to come to that place where we believe that the kingdom of heaven is near. It is here and it is coming all at the same time. And we have to repent. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I feel like a child. I feel like a, a babe just beginning to understand some of it. I mean, I have read these passages that we are reading over and over and over again. But I haven't 
cultivated them. I haven't put them into practice. I don't believe that that passage speaks with my relationship with my neighbors. I haven't believed that it speaks with my relationship even to people who, who despise me. I haven't believed and I have to repent of that. I have to repent of my lack of trust in God's word. I have to repent of my unbelief. And I've got to choose. I've got to choose to conspicuously live for Christ. Remember last week, go into those places and live the Christ life. People will notice. Some will hate you for it, but many will be strangely attracted to it and they will ask you. They will come to you and say, tell me what it is about you. Repent and choose to conspicuously live the Christ life and walk in step with the Spirit. I guess the reason I put that in there, I'm, I'm pulling from the Apostle Paul here again, but I think we can do that day by day, moment by moment. I mean, you have amazing challenges every day at work, I'm guessing. Um, I just think about the number of wives, Marlene, that, that look to you and, and, and uh, find their, their purpose and direction from you. That's a, just a huge responsibility. God invites us in everything that we're doing to walk in step with the Spirit, to moment by moment say, either, God, what is your word already said about this circumstance? I don't have to ask uh, the Holy Spirit if, if I should cheat on my wife, right? I don't have to ask the Holy Spirit that, right? Because he's already made that abundantly clear, right? But there's times when you're, you're saying, should I speak now, God, or should I, should I be still and shut up, right? If I ask my wife, she'll say the latter one, right? But, but, but sometimes the Holy Spirit wants you to speak and sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't. You can moment by moment walk in that kind of relationship. Will you get it right every time? Absolutely not. Um, but he will lovingly lead you into a deeper experience of who he is and give you that kind of direction. So walk in step with the Spirit rather than in step with the world. And you are just not aware of how much the world is trying to conform you. Every time you drive down a road and look at a billboard, every time you turn on the TV, every time you do even things that seem innocuous, um, the world is trying to conform you into its image. You've got to walk in step with the Spirit instead. But you know what really um, struck me this time through this word um, is um, something I, I know I had read it, but it just didn't land for me. Did you see what happened to Jesus? Did you see in that passage what happened to Jesus when they returned? I mean, we know that the disciples were overflowing with joy, right? But, but the Bible there, and I, I, I shared with you, I think last week I've been looking through the Bible to find it, this seems to be the only place in Scripture where we're told something caused God joy. Something caused Him joy, right? Jesus rejoiced and He did what we do. He immediately started talking to His Heavenly Father. He said, thank you, God. Thank you for revealing this to little children, I'm sorry about that, but he called us little children. That's not a bad thing. That's a compliment in Jesus' eyes. And you've hidden it. You've hidden this truth from the wise and understanding, right? Thank you. He just was rejoicing. Why was, why was he rejoicing? Why was Jesus rejoicing? What causes God joy? 
I know you know the answer already, but let me, let me dissect it for just a moment. When his children have children like him. That sounded like that passage that Marianne was reading. That's, that's confusing. Wait, wait. Who's, who's the subject and who's the object? Here's, here's the deal. God had promised Jesus that if he, if he did life completely counter to the way the world did it, if he refused to give in to the adulation of the 20,000, but instead just invested his life in a few people and poured his life into them, then he, he promised him that, that one day those people would reproduce him. Those, I'm going to focus on the 12 for a second, would become like him and they would do what he was doing. Do you realize what's going on in this passage? They, for the first time, we're told. The 12 came back, but we're not told what happened. When the 72 came back, they, they shared what God had done through them. And Jesus is going, yes, yes. He was completely human, right? Like you and me, he had to trust that what God said was true. And for the very first time, his kids have done what they were supposed to do. And they let God use them. And they were coming back with joy. And Jesus is just overwhelmed. You cause God joy. When you risk believing Him, when you put His Word into practice, when you step out in faith and, and follow His commands, when His children have children like Him, we got a lot of grandparents in the room. My kids were all home um, this Thanksgiving, and, and it's such a precious thing. Whether they're local like Maddie or... or Nearby, like Matt and Alyssa, or far, far away, like it just brought me such joy when my kids were home. And people tell me, pay attention, Maddie, people tell me that grandkids are even more fun than children, right? Is that true? Can I get an amen out there? They bring you a lot of joy? Yeah. God wants you to have spiritual grandchildren. He wants you to have spiritual He wants you to have children who have children. He wants you to make disciples who make disciples. Are you following me? You don't have to wait 20 years for a generation. It can happen in a couple of weeks. God has joy when His children have children like Him and when people who are becoming like Him make people who are becoming like Him. That's your commission, beloved. I know you're so grateful. So thankful for what God has done. It's created a heart of gratefulness in you. Many of you have moved to, to, um, to this nebulous gratefulness to recognize who it's from. It's from a God who loves you and created you and formed you. And, and that God is now saying to you, I'm going to entrust the most precious thing to me. I'm going to entrust to you the spiritual lives of people you have not even met yet. Remember last week? The guy goes into the village and the guy comes up to him, recognizes him, and says, God gave me a dream 20 years ago of your coming. And God told me to listen to you when you came to my village. There are people waiting for you to trust God. 20 years before he had not even known God, but God knew him. And God gave that man a vision for his coming. There are people waiting. People in your family. People in your neighborhood. People in your workplace. People who are waiting for you to believe God's word. 
And here's, here's the promise. That, that it'll be so joyful, not only for you, when you see God work through you, but you will cause God joy as well. We just close with this thought. Um, we hinted at it last week, but Jesus said to his disciples, you have no clue. Prophets have longed to know what you know right now. I'm speaking to you, beloved. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, name a name. They didn't have what you have right now. The Spirit dwelling in you. The authority of Jesus Christ at your beck and call, right? The prophets longed for that. It goes further. Kings longed for that. This blows my mind. I hope I'm not stepping too far out of the limb here. King David, a man after God's own heart, did not have what you have. He did not know what you know. Prophets and king have longed to see what you see and hear what you hear. So my question to us is, what are we going to do with this? Are we going to keep it to ourselves? Or are we going to risk believing it? I know you've got some painful situations. It's much easier to say, God, I don't think you can move in this and, and then not be disappointed when things don't come out the way you wanted them to. Jesus doesn't give you that option. He challenges you in your going. Make disciples who make disciples. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you. Thank you for your word. I'm going to believe, God, that it never, ever returns to you void. I'm going to believe that it's true, God, that as we respond to you, we will experience joy. Whether we respond in small or great ways, we will experience joy as a result. But God, more than that, more than that, we will cause you joy. God, I'm so grateful that when we were created... You rejoiced over us. While we were still in our mother's womb, you rejoiced over us. God, when we were born again, you rejoiced over us because your plan was coming to fruition. But God, our our purpose didn't end with coming to know you. Now you have entrusted so precious, a treasure, as the very gospel of Jesus Christ to us. May we cause you joy, God, because you are our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.